It's Pride Month, folks, and it's a good time to reflect on the progress made and the work still to do in the movement for LGBTQ rights, especially for Black and Brown people. Music, no doubt, plays a huge role in the ongoing struggle, and in this episode, we're going to meet the founder of a new organization in the town called Oakland Black Pride and explore their personal queer journey in five songs. Hey folks, welcome to Select 5, a show where you get to know creatives and community builders from the Bay Area and beyond through five songs that matter to them. I'm your host, Pam Torno, and my guest selector is someone for whom creativity and community building are fundamental and often intersect. Joining me now is Olewa Austin, an Oakland entrepreneur who's dedicated their career to improving the lives of Black people, youth, and LGBTQ communities. Olewa is the founder of Tribe Oakland, which is a performing arts incubator. They're also the founder and CEO of Oakland Black Pride, a new nonprofit that's committed to addressing the systemic inequities faced by Black people who claim LGBTQ identity. Uh, Olewa is also a self-professed music nerd, and it's awesome to have them on the show. Alewa, welcome. Thank you, Pam. Wow, what an <laughs> introduction. That was awesome. Oh, glad you liked it. Um, okay, so let's actually start with Oakland Black Pride, because that's your newest endeavor. So um, tell us what this organization is all about and what you hope to accomplish. Wow, right. Yeah, um, Oakland Black Pride, newly incorporated nonprofit. Um, my baby. Um so, you know, we, we live at this really interesting intersection, this inter- intersection of blackness and queerness. And, um, you know, Oakland Black Pride was formed based on my own needs. Right. And so, um, you know, we were faced with a pandemic, you know, and, and like everyone else in, in the country, um, we were shut in. Um, resources were sort of um, locked down and folks were uh, you know, sheltered in place, you know, either by themselves or with people, you know, that um, they had no choice to be sheltered in place with. And um, a lot of the needs of myself and my immediate community became exacerbated. And we were like, huh, you know, how do how do we fare through this, you know, and still get the camaraderie, the support and the solidarity and the joy and, and things like that that we need from our own community. Um, and it, it was tough, you know, like it was for everyone, but it was extremely tough for us because it was, you know, it was already tough, you know, in a, in a non-pandemic world. And so um, I started, you know, just researching the history of what um, pride is. Um, and it was all about community and it was all about, you know, taking care of one another um, and being in support of one another. Um, and, you know, and I said, hey, why why don't we have that? Why not do that? Um, and I started building programming around something that already existed, you know, and, and my goal at the time was just to give it back to the people, right? Because it started, you know, for the people and with the people. Um, and it sort of turned into something that looks a little different <laughs> or a lot different, if we're being honest. Um, and I wanted to bring it back. I wanted to bring it back full circle to the folks that started it. Um, and thus I started Oakland Black Pride. This was an organization that you were going to um, uh, start regardless of the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Can you give us some examples of exactly what what kind of things, um, what kind of services, and what kind, how how did you gather community as people were locked down? Yeah, that was tough um, because you know we're all about like being in the face of someone when we're trying to build community, right? And um, being on lockdown and not having that that immediate access um, was very, very hard. And so, you know, like a lot of the folks, we switched to the digital world, right? We switched to the virtual world. Um, and we kind of 
you know, it became more intentional, actually, and it forced us to really just think about how we engage our community. And and um, and so we got really strategic about it. And um, like, literally, I was having this conversation with someone two days ago. Um, we'd look to nature as our resolve. Um, and so we began um, sort of holding classroom and court in, in nature and asking folks, you know, who felt comfortable enough to come on out. And, and from that, you know, we, we started building, um, you know, just a trust circle, if that makes sense. And um, we switched a lot of our our stuff online, you know, and Twitch became a thing and Zoom became a thing. And we sort of um, leveled up in that sense. Um, and it's been working. And, it, and you know what it did for us, Pam? It actually, you know, it democratized sort of who who got to see our message, who got to hear our message, right? Because when we switched to a virtual platform, um, everybody gets to see it now. You know, it's not just um, those folks who are brave enough to come out of the shadows. It's everybody. Um, and so, in a remarkable sense, something really cool has happened and we are growing really fast. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I call the pandemic, you know, in 2020, a, a really gross ass gift in that sense of, you know, how it, how it kind of, you know, catapulted us into this thing. And then, but it, from it, you know, grew this beautiful work um, that I really feel passionate and, and, you know, and proud of in this moment. So, yeah. And so now that things are kind of be- uh, opening back up again, people are getting vaccinated. Um, you're starting to climb a little bit out of the virtual world, um, I assume. So is that um, is that is it better? You're, you're still kind of keeping all of these methods of gathering community, whether it's remote yeah. or in person. Absolutely, absolutely. And that the thought behind that um, was we want to keep the same energy, right? And and. Um, we want to also maximize inclusivity. And so to just be thoughtful of those that who aren't necessarily maybe vaccinated or, ha- you know, maybe that's not their belief system um, and they, you know, still want to participate in the, in the stuff that we have to offer. Um, but yeah, things are opening up and we are planning things, you know, outside um, and outdoors. Um, but also our community safety is our number one priority, right? First and foremost. And so we are bearing, being very mindful to that. Well, it's good to know you're out there still doing the work, um, and I think part of the work is a little self-reflection. And with that in mind, Ole was selected five songs that helped them discover and accept their own queerness. And the first one on the list is a Stone Cold Classic. All right, so we're going into your selections with a bang. Uh, as I, for, I would die for you. Um, and so much has been said about Prince's playfulness with gender expression. What was your impression when you first heard the song as a young person in 1984? And what does it mean to you today? Ooh, wow, right? This song. So um, when I first heard this song, it was just, it was so powerful because it was, um, I actually, I heard it, in the movie the first time, uh, the movie uh, Purple Rain. Yeah. Uh, and we'd gone to the theater, my brother, his girlfriend, and I. And I was, I remember being being upset and not wanting to go to the theater. Um, it had something to do with my, not wanting to leave. Like I was had something happening with my mom. I was like, we were in a spat and I was kind of wanting to hang around for that. And then I also wanted to go to the movies the next day with my friends and not with my brother because, you know, he was just going to be all kissy with his girlfriend or whatever. So I was 
busy. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we had a van and I wrote, I remember riding, <laughs> I remember riding to the theater. We actually went to the drive-in. So I already knew, you know, my brother wasn't going to be about the movie. And we were going to the drive-in. And so I sat facing the back of the van the whole time. <laughs> and I remember when the movie started, um, like trying to like not be, not be present for it. And then being sucked into the movie, um, you know, of course, Purple Rain and Prince. And I think at the time that, that was as, that was as much of Prince in one dose that you got, right? Because we didn't have like our phones that we could look at, you know, videos of and, and you know, laptops and stuff to stream music and have, you know, you didn't have access to the celebrities and such that you, like you have now. And so Prince on screen for what, 90 mm-hmm. minutes to, to however long was, you know, we're like, whoa, that's a lot of Prince, right? And so um, I was just there mm-hmm. for, for that whole journey. And, um, but really also still feeling, you know, kind of pissed at my mom. Right. And so, um, like I was going through the whole emotions that he was going through. And so when he came out and sang that song, like it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was like, it was, it was a song he sang after purple rain, which was the very emotional, you know, crying, uh, you know, waving the hands. And then he stomped through the halls. Yeah. Not to spoil <laughs> it for anyone, but it's, it's towards the end of the movie. Yeah. 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 He stomps through the halls. Cause he's, you know, he thinks he's defeated and he's like fussy about it. You know, and then he hears the crowd, ah, and so he's like, and the you know the girl from the from the bar comes in, and he hears the crowd, and he kind of like, you know, straightens up a little bit. You know, he puffs his chest out a little bit. He's feeling better. He hears that, you know, he hears that acceptance, and he hears that he's, you know, whatever it was that he just poured out on stage, they received it right, and you could see that triumph in him um, as he you know prances back in his prince way <laughs> to the to the stage, and that's the song he came back with. Like, what? Like, I would die for you. The first few lines are just incredible. I'm not your woman. I'm not your man. I'm something that you will never understand. Like, what? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Um, And so I felt every piece of that, Um, you know, just his triumph. And then also that whole I would die for you that um, to me, it was more like um, people were like, oh, androgyny. It was more about his like recognizing the God in himself. And so... I, in that moment, sort of hmm. reconciled the, the, what I was going through with my mom was pretty serious. So I sort of reconciled that. And that song literally pushed me through that, 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 that funk, right. That thing. And I actually started listening and started hearing what he was saying, right. Sort of in the, um, I'm not, you know, I'm something, you know, I'm just you're like, wait, what, who says this? Yeah. And so a lot of talk was, you know, about the, oh, he's talking, he's bisexual. He's this, he's that. I was like, ah, oh, if you really think about it though, he's telling you he's not woman or man. You will never understand. And, and he's in later in the lyrics, I think he says something about being the Messiah or something like that. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was deep for me. And, um, it literally, uh, awakened like a baby revolutionary, I think in me and just like sort of, um, you know, started my wheels are turning. And I also started writing after that too, and started like, like how, like just journaling, if that makes sense um, after that, which was really huge for me. Do you still have your journals from back then? Heck yeah, I do. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I do. Um, Some of them I, you know, I tear pages out of them because you don't want to face that part of yourself. (laughs) But um, then I laugh about the things and then, you know, some, yeah, but yeah, I do still have a a few of them that I look back and cringe, you know, (laughs) self-reflect is fun. So listening to that song now, do you still feel the same about it? Do you feel like um, you've, uh, you've evolved somehow or your, your feelings about it have changed? My feelings about that song are exactly the same as they were the first time I ever heard that song. 
Um, it still yeah. incites this revolutionary, this sort of triumphant spirit in me to this day. Um, I still feel warm. It's so it's I, I mean I see his face on the on the stage with that little coy like I've I've won look um, in his eyes and 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 the folks that he's you know resonating with in the crowd and and the girl I believe was Apollonia right in the movie he locks eyes mm-hmm. with her. She's like, I see you, boo. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, it's still, I feel exactly the same way um, about that song. Um, yeah, and it inspires me just as much now as it did then. So actually, in keeping with up, uplifting songs, um, this next selection of yours is definitely one of that, another anthemic dance track, uh, some vintage Deep House from 1989. Two people think All right, that was That's the Way Love Is by Ten City um, from their debut, 1989, uh, album's foundation. Um, what is going on in your mind when you hear the song, Alewa? So, okay, this is this was a whole, wow. So this, I think, um, this first it introduced me to house music, right, um, this song. I believe I was 19 years old in Chicago, Oh, so you were right in it. I was right in it. We were going to a club called Berlin. I had, um, if she hears this later, I'm going to apologize now, but I stole my cousin's ID to, to get in. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but the big deal was, is that Frankie Knuckles was back in town, I guess, um, from his UK hiatus oh, wow. from Chicago. So when we rolled up, the line was just bananas. Um, but one of my friends was dating one of the bouncer dudes. And so, you know, we had that kind of love. And so just an amazing, just, you know, group of folks. And I never heard of house music. I, my friends were pumped about it. So I like, you know, uh, I just, I was thinking like <laughs> techno-ish. And I'm like, I don't, you know, whatever. So saw this crowd. I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is about to be insane. So we're in there and I'm, you know, like just taking it all in and, this song comes on. Frankie's playing, right? Everybody's like, he plays this song. Um, and uh, Ten City is also from Chicago. And um, mm-hmm. I, they were in the crowd that night, right? And the dude, um, I believe his name is Byron or Brian Stingley, um, takes mm-hmm. the mic and he hits that first note. And it just, the crowd goes insane. And, you know, if you've heard him sing, uh, he's got this Sylvester-esque uh, voice. And so, oh, yeah, very much so. And then you just, it just starts going. And I was like, what in the world is this sound? It has this, two things I love. I love dance music and I, I love gospel music. Um, and it meshed the two. And I couldn't mm-hmm. believe it. I was like, what? So I've got this whole house experience being introduced to like one of the greatest house, you know, house music professionals to date, you know, Frankie Knuckles, this song. And then 
this the dance floor got gay real quick. And I was like, where are, you know, I was like, I found my people. <laughs> I had no idea what I was in for. Um, there was the the like all of Chicago's gay community was in this club this night. And um I just felt right at home. And I just I knew that at, you know, not to oversimplify, but I knew I'd found my people. I'd found, I I was home and that on that dance floor, like it was just like I it was it I can't even like right now I'm getting chills just thinking about that experience. It was just one of the one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And so House Music Head was born that day um, in that club, Berlin in Chicago. Wow. Yeah. I mean, House Music is it's like disco reborn and it obviously has its roots uh, in the LGBTQ community and bars and clubs being like the safe spaces. I don't think it will ever go away. And the youth, they still somehow find it. Um, and fortunately, we have um, folks, uh, you know, like, that are music professionals that, that still carry that, you know, still carry it on. I think I um, I, I have a friend who's a DJ. We uh, were working on their, um, their bio. And I think part of the bio described them as um, a modern day griot. Um, and as a DJ and how they are still storytellers. Right. And so that being said, you know, those stories telling and, you know, they draw to the dance floor. It's like ritual, you know, and it's healing. And so, yeah, the kids still find it. They still find the dance floor, which is amazing to me. Um, I want to still make sure that they find the dance floor. Well, hopefully we can get out of this pandemic so that they can find the dance floors again. That's true. We're going to slow things down a little bit for your third selection. Um, so let's hear a little bit of, of this track. That was Heaven Help Me by Dion Estes. Uh, and uh, you might recognize the uh, backup voice on that. That's George Michael. Uh, Dion Estes was the bassist for Wham! for a long time and for George Michael solo for a little bit. Um, this song is from 1989 from his uh, first and only album called Spell. Uh, what does this song mean to you? This song, so it was one of my favorite songs actually when it came out, and I would play it all the time. Um, I had no, it was shocked to me that it was Dion Estes, right? Because it sounds every bit of George Michael's. It sounds just like George Michael, yeah. Just like, right. And so, you know, I just went, I think I went and bought the, um, at the time you could buy cassette singles. <laughs> I think I went and bought the cassette single and was shocked that it was actually Dion Estes. Um, but I was living with my mom at the time. And so the song doesn't have, you know, it, it takes significance a little later. Um, when, um, I would play it all the time and living with my mom. And so fast forward to 98, I believe it was 99 when George Michaels comes out of the closet, he comes out as gay. And, um, my mom reminded me, she said, remember when you used to play that song all the time? I was like, yeah, I still love that song. And she said something like, um, uh, we talked about him coming out as gay. And she said that she didn't like him anymore. And I thought that was strange, especially for my mom. Oh, wow. 
And I was wondering, like, why she said, like, hindsight, like, did she say it to see my reaction or what? Like, and so I challenged her in that moment. And I think it was. So had you come out to your mom at that point? mm -mm. Uh Uh-uh. I hadn't. Right. And so that's, you know, I sat with that. And so I think, you know, I my challenge, I, I said, would you rather him live a lie than to be truthful in who he is. And, and, and what does that have to do with his music that you, you know, love, like how, you know, so, you know, that duality, like what, what, why can't he be gay? And, you know, like, you know, right. So for her to say that she didn't like him anymore because he was, you know, I wanted to understand more about why she said that. And so she sat and I appreciate her response. She said, I guess you're right. I didn't think of it that way. And I'm like, okay, well that that's I won that round. Like, right? well that it was just interesting for me that that um that she would say that. Um and it got me to thinking about like how people, you know, treat things that they don't participate in, right? Like how, you know, if up is right, then down is wrong, right? Like how, you know, people have mm. to you like things that don't you know, if, if it doesn't look like you or, you know, like, or, or something that you don't participate in, like we, it's how we treat that thing that really baffles me. Right. Like, do you have to make war with it? You know, do you have to tear it down and treat it like mm-hmm. shit because you don't agree with it? You know? Um, and so that is what that song meant to me. And that it just sort of awoke that, that woke up that, you know, nothing is wrong in this world, really. It's just our perception of the thing that, that we have to deal with. And so that is, I went on my, um, my little Buddhist kick, if you will, or my, 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 my deeper, deeper awakening within sort of journey, um, because of that. Um, and also started, you know, sort of evaluating my relationship, um, and navigating my relationship differently with my mom too. Um, and not in a, in a, you know, not in a, I'm not pleased with you sort of way, but just in a, um, I think I became a lot more unapologetic in how I moved around her and and a lot less, um, from that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was probably because I did win that challenge <laughs> because I was, I, I was, I was proud of myself for even saying, you know, what does that even mean, mom? You know, and then also mm-hmm. proud of myself. For, you got a little uh, braver. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's, that song had a, had a pretty deep impact um, after, after it came out, after its release. Okay, so now we're going to talk about another artist whose sexuality was also a topic of scrutiny back in the day when things were a little different. Let's take a listen. Okay, so that was Can We Talk, (laughs) old school jam. Um, Tevin Campbell from his 1993 album, I'm Ready. Uh, And Olewa, I'm ready to hear what you have to say about this song. First of all, who does not love this song? Can we talk, right? Like, like it just, I mean, when it, I believe I was maybe 23 at the time. Um, so you weren't even like the teen, you weren't even the teen that he was sort of speaking to nah, when the song came out. No, this song, and that's why, you know, we talk about how music transcends, it, this cross-generational, you know, cross-cultural. Um, yeah, I was 23 years old. I was a new mom. I had a, t- I had a toddler, I had a two-year-old. Um, and I was still very shy. I was still very introverted in spite of like my, you know, 
extroverted world. I was very introverted. Um, and I was still struggling with my sexuality too. Um, a lot of questions, you know, myself and still growing. Right. And so, um, but not having time to address any of that. Right. Because I was a new mom. Right. And so, um, a lot of, you know, you, when you become a mom, you know, what should happen organically is that you kind of turn yourself over. And so, um, I was, I was mom of a two-year-old and still trying to, and so I was coming out of that, you know, very attentive newborn phase. And I started, you know, asking myself some questions about, you know, who, who I am, how I'm, how am I doing, you know, like what's going on with me? Um, and, you know, I, I did know that I didn't want to be in, uh, the relationship with my son's father. Um, and, um, I was going to have that conversation with him. And as corny as it sounds, on the drive back home, that song came on. (laughs) And I pulled over, right? And I'm rehearsing my It's Not You, It's Me talk. (laughs) Mm. And this song comes on. Which is not, that's the opposite of what the song is about. Right, exactly, right? right? And I I had to be with the song because it's a song that just took me, you know, it's like this song like takes you so. um, And then I started thinking about Tevin's journey, right? His, his, you know, because we love Mm -hmm. to talk mess about folks. We like to be in their business, especially if they're celebrities. We think we're so entitled to every piece of them. And so, you know, the big thing is, was, was he gay? Is he gay? Was he gay? Is he gay? Right? Was he, he's what, I know he's gay because he came out, and, you know, he's hanging out with Prince, you know, it's just like all of this whisper about his sexuality. Um, and so I did, I was attracted to that part, you know, his, his choice to be silent and to keep, you know, that part of him to himself, you know, but I did also see what that caused, the pain that that caused, right? And I, you know, in keeping that secret, you know, and here I was driving to this destination to sort of relieve myself of that same kind of pain, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was a secret, but he also, he, he, he kind of, he had revealed in, in an interview that he was, you know, not gay, um, but he liked to try different things sex, uh, sexually. Right. Um, and this was what, 2000, it was early 2000s. And it, it kind of, you know, his career took a hit because of that. And, I, you Absolutely. know, I'm just thinking, like, if it, if it happened today, I don't think it would have happened that way. Nobody would care. Yeah. I think I think part of the the way it took a hit is because how he was so um, – it's not like he was denying it back in the day, right? He was more about, it's none of your damn business. Why are you so interested, right? Mm-hmm. And so when he finally – did come out with some sort of admission about his bisexuality. I think it angered people. Nobody want, wanted to to deal with him, um, you know. And so it was sad, you know, to see how, yeah. you know, you know, yeah. It just it was sad. And so I did resonate with Tevin's journey and his and his struggle. And that just was the that was a bomb ass song. All right. Well, we're gonna go for a mellow finish with your fifth and final selection. So. Let's hear a little bit of that. All right, fun fact, followed by a shameless plug. Um, so that was Michelle and Dege Ocello, 
um, from her 2002 album Cookie, the Anthropological Mixtape. So the fun fact is that album was recorded at Hyde Street Studios in San Francisco. The shameless plug is, if you want to learn more about some of the amazing funk music recorded there, you should listen to our fifth episode with Otis McDonald. Okay, but back to you, Olewa. <laughs> Talk to us about the song and how you're feeling about Michelle and Deggio Cello. Criterion. Um she was my she was my hero. I loved Michelle, her 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 musical honesty, um, just how she. Uh, I think I used the word earlier on um, how I you know after some conversations with my mom how my relationship became more un- unapologetic with her. Um, I felt like Michelle embodied that right. Like if unapologetic mm-hmm. was a person, it'd be Michelle, and that was from the beginning. That was from like her music. Um, just you know, dreadlock. You know what was the first album? She had? It was just just amazing music. Uh, Plantation and lullabies. Plantation lullabies. Yeah, um, I was also mm-hmm. funny too because I remember hearing that song and seeing uh, the cover of it, and um, I was my friend Angela, my dear, very dear friend Angela, um, who sits on my board of directors. Um, she, I said, "Oh, I think I think Michelle might be gay." I, again, wasn't out at the time. This was for the first album. But my friend says, do you think that makes a difference, you know, in how people receive her? And I was like, I think it kind of does to some people. I was like, but I don't care. And then fast forward to this, 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 this appreciation of this, of this person and their sexuality and just being um, an amazing songwriter. Um, I actually was just driving uh, uh, in a car and this, first of all, the album, the name of it, the anthropological mixtape, I just, I didn't understand it. And I was like, oh, what does this mean? Like, so it just, I, I had a CD player at the time in my car and I was driving from Arizona to California and, um, and I just let it roll the whole time. Um, and just for me, the song uh, just, it's so mellow, you know, um, the, you know, it's kind of deep and then, but it take, but it's just, it's melodic, you know, it's instrumental. It's um, warm. It's jazzy. It sounds yeah. like she's playing the, I'm assuming that's her playing bass. Um, and it yes. sounds like an upright bass. Right. Right. Like it's not, it just, right. It's so whole and, and full, but yet so simple. And right? it's so like, there's not a lot of, um, you know, like a lot of production and it's not just, but it just, you know, so she slows it down. She's not, you know, just, and, I started thinking about like how she's thrived and how she, uh, because it's a, a beautiful body of music, the whole, the whole CD, um, the whole, the whole album. Uh, and I started thinking about that past moment when Plantation Lullabies came out and, and, and how she's thrived and how she's still here doing her thing and has never really given to any of that whole, are you gay? Is she, what does she know? Oh, you know, she's mm-hmm. like, I'm yeah. who the hell I am. Right. And y'all are going to buy my music mm-hmm. because it's dope, you know? <laughs> um, and I dig her for that, you know, and I really wanted to walk in that same type of um, truth. And, you know, that was very inspiring for me. And I think I started at that time thinking of ways, um, on how to be um, less of a people pleaser, but still be a person of the people. And that's kind of tough to do, especially mm. I'm a cancer. <laughs> you know, we, we are very mm. empathetic um, and I'm very, you know, um, people say we're emotional and, and but and, and 
that's necessarily are we emotional, but I think we absorb emotions. Um, and, and so, you know, we sort of uh, wear them on our sleeves. And so what happens with a sponge, when you fill it full of emotion, some of that shit starts to seep out, right? If you squeeze it, it just automatically is all of it's all over the place. And so I think that's what that means when you say cancers are emotional. But, you know, I, I started to just sort of dissect and, you know, inner, inner work, inner work, inner work, inner work for me, which is like a thing. And I used, a, a, I used music a lot of times for that, you know, to, um, just to kind of create that, that headspace for, um, to clear that space so that I could start to learn more about myself and, you know, and growth and life and death. And, um, you know, I also had a kid at home too. I used to try to get away from his butt too, as much as I could just to, you know, um, to, to give myself time, right. And, and to ask myself difficult questions, to look myself in the eye. And a lot of that was done uh, on long drives, listening to music, you know, and, um, Michelle was one of those ones. This song in particular was one of those ones that also had a really cool car at the time too. <laughs> so I would drive a little, an old school Fiat Spider. It was a 1981 Fiat Spider convertible. Oh, that is a cool car. Okay. Yeah. It had the Pininfarina uh, engine. It was so cute. And so I would drop, I would drop the top and play my music really obnoxiously loud and roll through um, really elite neighborhoods, like in the Berkeley Hills and shit. And, 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 you know, imagine, you know, what a world like, like this could be, and you know, these things like that, like we do when we're, when we're young, the imaginative side. And so I never, I never, um, I never squashed the creative side of myself. Right. And so um, I think, um, Fast forward to Olewa to today, what I'm doing makes perfect sense. You know, it sort of allows me to still, you know, live in that, live in the lane of creativity um, and also in the lane of um, people pleaser, you know, and community person and things. And so, yeah, it's been kind of dope. Well, we're glad you are who you are. And uh, I guess we have some of this music to thank for that. Thank you so much. I've learned so much about you. Um, so thanks for sharing your journey through these five songs. And before I let you go, um, tell us about some of the things that Oakland Black Pride has planned for Pride Month. Ooh, we've got some fun stuff planned for Pride Month. Um, we're very excited, too. Like, we're literally, and I'm doing the happy dance right here. I'm trying to sit still. Um Right now, um, we've got a full weekend of Pride activities. And again, we're going to do um, some virtual engagements as well as in-person engagements this year um, with limited capacity. We have um, a couple of health and wellness panels planned for Thursday and Friday. Um, Pride week being um, our celebration rather will be June 24th through the 27th. So that Thursday and Friday we'll do some health and wellness panels. Um, we've got a couple of um, uh, inclusive economic panels uh, scheduled. We've got um, one that I'm really excited about that I'll be moderating called the Revolutionary Dance Floor. I'll have some of my music nerd friends uh, come and talk music with us. Um, so that's going to be cool. Uh, and then Friday, <laughs> we're going to do um, a pub crawl, a queer pub crawl. And so we've got... Um, a few of the restaurants and pubs uh, in the town involved. And we're going to start, I think we'll probably start at Kingston 11 and end at OS day. And we'll do maybe five bars in between there. All of our schedule will actually be online too. Um, so that's Friday. And then on Saturday, we're doing an event called skate for pride. Um, and we have uh, host Durand Banar, Grammy award winner Durand Banar. He just won a Grammy with Kate Renata. 
Um, he will be the host of that event. Oh, wow. That's on Saturday. I know that's going to be fun. Um, and then Sunday, we are doing a queer kickball tournament at Ramonde Field. Um, and so we're going to be out there all day. Uh, kickball. For, uh, yeah. We're I haven't played kickball, kickball since like middle school. Right, right. So we're hoping that that's going to be fun. So in the spirit of just um, like a family reunion. So that Sunday at Monday is going to be all day at the park thing. Um, we're going to have an expo. So we'll have vendors and such set up for exhibits and things like that. Um, we'll have food vendors. We will have um, some some entertainment out there. Um, we encourage folks to bring their blankets and their and their crews and come and like do it family reunion style. Um, we're going to have fun. And then later that night, Sunday night, um, we're doing a Slayer's ball. So, (laughs) um, we're going to do a ballroom style. So we have rented the California ballroom. Um, we're going to do a a queer ball Slayer's ball on Sunday night. And so, um, get your house in order. People will be, um, people will be ready. I'm sure. Um, our community has been in the house like literally over a year. And so <laughs> we're excited mm-hmm. to, to bring something, very excited to bring something to our community. Um, and so, you know, in lieu of a large, you know, celebration in the middle of the town that will, you know, um, cause a bunch of folks to just congregate in one area, we're spreading it out over four days and, you know, utilizing a lot of the organizations and um, partnerships um, that we've developed um, and spreading some of that love around so that folks can, um, you know, reacclimate themselves with the set, with the city and with their community um, and also get to know Oakland Black Pride and what we're about. Sounds like a great time. So you should follow Oakland Black Pride on all their socials. They're on Instagram uh, at Oakland Black Pride. Um, if you're feeling Olewa's vibes and want more, we have a companion playlist they put together featuring the five hot tracks that we talked about on this episode, plus many more. Uh, we're going to post a link on our socials as usual. That's going to do it for now, but we wish you all a safe and joyful Pride Month, and we hope you enjoy the show because we put a lot of love into it. So shouts out to Select 5 producer Kate Sullivan, technical producer Brian Douglas, and our partners Dan and Shireen at Bar Shiru. This is Pam Torno signing off. Be good to each other, everybody. <laughs>